Hello, I'm here today with um, a good friend called Jane Davidson. And to give a little bit of background, um, I've been a fan of a lot of what Jane has achieved in her political career for a long time. And then we became friends probably in the last couple of years through work I've done in architecture. And also I did a little bit of work for Jane recently, but we also share a big love of cold water swimming and see each other on the beach for the last few years in all weathers. And I would be remiss unless I said that Jane is a lot harder than me <laughs> and could take the, a lot more cold than me. But anyway, um, it's lovely to be here today with Jane. And hello, Jane. How do you feel today? Oh, hello, Gareth. Um, you know, I should feel really good today um, because I've had a, an eye problem, um, uh, which which you know about, which happened about six weeks ago. And I was gardening and managed to get a piece of shale in my eye and uh, and cut my cornea. Who, who knew that you could do such a thing? And I spent the last you know six weeks worried about my sight and then an ulcer developed. And so it all felt as though it was going the wrong way. And yesterday, the consultant signed me off and said I can swim again. So perhaps I should have gone into the sea this morning. Um, and I'd feel better. But I actually feel really fed up today. And that is so unusual for me. And I feel really fed up because over the last few days, since uh, the by-election in Uxbridge, which was caused by um, Boris Johnson uh, resigning his seat, and the Conservative Party have seized on ULES, the ultra-low emissions scheme in London, which in fact uh, only penalises about one car in 10. Um, and they've seized upon that and tried to make a real culture war with everybody else over being green. And that just feels to me incredibly scary at this moment in time when what we're watching in many other countries in the world is what we might call global boiling. Um, in fact, Anthony Guterres from the UN called it global boiling. We're in the hottest year we've ever been in. Uh, the sea is the hottest it's ever been, so it should be fine for you, mate. <laughs> and we're seeing the consequences of the sea being hot is going to affect global melting. The consequences of the um, countries being hot is going to lead to the kind of deaths from heat waves that we saw in 2003. And the idea that when we know in the science that so much is happening in the context of climate, uh, that we are not going to take action in the UK. And not only have the Conservatives decided to attack the ULES, but they're attacking low traffic neighbourhoods and low traffic neighbourhoods are those things that help our children have healthy lungs. Um, they keep the pollution away from our youngest children. They're attacking 20 mile an hour schemes that also bring down air pollution. And the sort of crowning glory of this yesterday was the announcement of opening up 100 new opportunities for oil and gas in the sea, in the North Sea, when we also know from science that A, oil and gas are causing all the problems. And as Professor Donella Meadows said back when she 
wrote her first book, Limits to Growth, in 1972, therefore 50 years ago, if we behave as though limits are real and there is not enough time and we extract as much as we can, that way lies planetary collapse. So everything that's happened in the last week or so in the conservative narrative is going to lead to planetary collapse. And yet we have the signs around us all over the world that the planet is already collapsing. So I must admit that I feel really, really fed up today that we could be in a position when all the polls tell us the majority of people in the UK, indeed the majority of people across the world want their governments to take action on climate change. And yet we have this situation where in the recess, so other parliamentary parties can't even hold this government to account, we are ending up with a series of announcements that are almost designed to hasten the end of humanity. Why wouldn't I feel fed up? I agree totally, Jane. Um, There's one question in my mind, which maybe you can answer because I've never been able to answer it. And that's, we're all human. And I understand Tories, I think, and they are short-term gain all the time, but they have children as well and grandchildren. So why do you think they don't want a better future for them? I, I honestly have no idea. I think all I can think is, because I often use that same narrative, Gareth, I talk about the fact that, you know, it's not just Tories, it generally is the right-wing party. So you hear the same thing from the Republicans in America. Uh, You're hearing the same things in the context of right-wing governments in Europe, that actually we've got to focus um, on dealing with immigration issues. We've got to put walls up around our countries and we've got to do it now because we know that due to climate change, more people will move. And and my answer to it is, well, okay. well, we still know um, that the science tells us that if we act now, we can actually ensure that this is a livable planet. So why don't we act now? And I think it's that they must feel that in their political philosophy, there is no space for the kind of actions that are needed. And of course, it won't be that they don't care about their children and grandchildren. But what most of them will be able to do, particularly those who are in the position to take decisions, is also to save their children and grandchildren. There will still be safe places in the world. Mm. There'll just be a lot fewer. So those people with money will be able to move to those safe places. And I think that in many ways, that is the worst thing of all, because It is such a selfish idea that we'll be all right. And what we know also is that, you know, we we talk about a phrase like a just transition. um, And a just transition is when a government doesn't just look at the people who can remove themselves to safer places, higher up hills, away from sea level rise, away from the floods in rivers, etc. But actually, it's the fact that we are going to see not just millions, but potentially 
billions of people put at risk. And because people love their children, they're going to do everything they can to escape that. And I think that it's in the interests of it all. So oddly enough, the thing that gives me hope (laughs) in this area, it's really important to have hope in this area. The thing that gives me hope is in my daily work, um, and my daily work is how can we achieve net zero by 2035, when currently the legislative date is 2050, but we're going for 2035 because If you leave a date as 2050, then nobody plans for it, but they will plan on a 10-year plan. So we're almost trying an interesting countrywide experiment in Wales at the moment, which is if we plan for 2035, what does our 10-year plan look like? And by creating a 10-year plan to net zero, but also making sure that that is a just transition it protects vulnerable communities and it is nature positive. It protects nature because we know we have a a nature crisis as well as a climate crisis. Then can we plan our way out of the worst of the problems? And I think that in many ways, that is the answer. It's the hope is to take some agency to do action, both at the individual level and what we might do in our own houses and in our own lives, um, and as you know, I, 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 I never fly anywhere um, that I don't have to. Uh, you might notice I've slightly changed the language on that. I normally say I never fly for a holiday. But since my son's getting married in Malaysia, yeah, I will be flying for a holiday for the first time since 2007, I think. <laughs> so um, but we can take actions in our daily lives. And particularly those are the actions that use a lot of fossil fuels. So flying and and car use, whether uh, using fossil fuels, uh, the way we heat our homes, all of these things. They're the biggest actions we can take. And those are in our individual uh, capacity to do so. But some actions need to be taken by government if we're going to bring emissions down. And we also know that because so many species have been lost Uh, to the United Kingdom and elsewhere, that if we want to bring them back, we have to change the way we manage land, et cetera, et cetera. If you try and do that all at once, it actually will be impossible. So we actually need to think about which are the areas we can do things that have the least disruption to people's lives, which are the areas that are most plausible politically, where people can see that there will be a positive outcome from it. So I'm working at the moment on that. And I do feel I do feel an enormous amount of hope in that work because there are so many young people I'm working with who are just really kind of like egging us on because it's so important for their futures. There's so many brilliant minds across the world working with me on this because it turns out that at the moment, Wales is the only country that's trying to develop a coherent pathway to emissions reduction while looking after its population and trying to be nature positive. So I don't know whether we'll achieve it, but I do, I feel hope in that action. But the whole thing in the last week, you know, triggered by a tiny win in a small contest when less than 50% of people came out to vote has enabled the government of the UK to totally change track. And that is terrifying. 
I'm sure it will kind of change back when we go back into full parliamentary scrutiny again in the autumn. But in the meantime, just allow me to feel really sad that the people who should be our leaders are actually condemning Britain. Condemning Britain economically, because that's not where the opportunities are, and condemning Britain democratically, because it's a lead that is against almost every other uh, developed country in the world, which is still maintaining at least a commitment that net zero needs to happen. Mm. What do I say? <laughs> well, um, I, I know, I think, I think, because we've had this conversation before, yeah. and, and I know that sometimes you feel really overwhelmed by it yeah. and just feel, well, well what, what can you do when you're faced with this? And I just, I, I, I feel that you have to do your bit for change. But I really understand people who feel, what can I do? And, and people who start avoid looking at the news because they don't want to see it, because it just reinforces that this is happening. So I think it is very hard to, to kind of like decide what it is you do. But well, maybe, this, maybe this is what you do. You know, what you do is explore with people yeah. how they feel about things. And more and more young people are in a state of eco-anxiety. And we should be doing everything we can to try and allay their fears for a future. Because you and I, I mean, we're, we're very different in ages. I'm much older than you. But you and I had promises of positive futures. We've made choices in our life for the kind of careers we've had or decided mm. to reject them. There are not going to be those choices for the people we love unless we unless we do change course. Oh, absolutely. But the funny thing is that for me is moving to West Wales was part of everything you're talking about because I decided many years ago I wasn't going to fly. Um, when we first had children, so that's nearly 25 years ago, I used to think an awful lot about this stuff and I used to subscribe to Ethical Consumer and New Internationalist. And... When I used to talk about these things, you just put people off and nobody would want to hear. And I used to feel very impotent to make any sort of change other than walking it as you talk it kind of thing. But the thing, the irony in all of that was I was still completely aware that no matter if I consumed less, didn't go on holidays, did all these different things, I was still aware that I was a massive part of that problem. Mm. And that's partly why I you know, felt a sense of guilt for so long, did crazy things like buying a field, you know, all this kind of stuff, right? We all buy fields in West Wales. <laughs> no, honestly, and it was all it was all in an effort to try and basically yeah. take care of your own crap effectively um, to a degree. But I eventually came to a conclusion that unless this kind of systemic change, and that can only come from government level, I was pretty much having zero consequence other than dealing with my own feelings of guilt. And hopefully if someone asked me about something instead of me preaching about it, then maybe I could have a conversation with somebody about something which may then plant a seed somewhere else. But the weird thing is I don't feel like that anymore because I'm not quite sure if it's too far gone, so, which is why it's great to have friends like you to talk to to maybe turn the dial back the other way a little bit because I seem to have gone from one extreme to the other in terms of my outlook, feeling that there was hope for the last 10 or 15 years, becoming more and more frustrated as I see less and less happening and more and more crazy, actually accelerating towards things. 
And now, like you've just hit the nail on the head with what you've said has happened in the last few days. And I just despair, really. And therefore, I just continue to live a quiet life. But I'm still very aware that I'm not actually doing anything which is making a meaningful difference. But I, I, I think... I think that actually the big difference between when you were first doing it and indeed when I was first doing it is I, I'm pretty sure I could empty a room. <laughs> like, exactly. You're like my no passion for green stuff 20 <laughs> years ago. Um, and I'm pretty sure that, yeah, there'd certainly be. And, and what would happen is, um, you know, people wouldn't tell me where they were going on holiday. <laughs> my friends wouldn't tell me where they were going on holiday. No, exactly. Or they'd preface it with, Okay, Jane, I know you're not going to approve, but, and it's kind of like, so I stopped doing it a bit as well because I wasn't trying to disapprove of my friends. No, not at um, all. But I think the thing, the thing is that having been, you know, having been a government minister, you know, having been responsible for introducing legislation about current and future generations in, in, in this little wonderful country of Wales in which we live, I kind of like, I feel that I can do something systemic. But the really important part of this and the bit that gives give, you know, gives me hope, it's the young people giving me hope because we know and they know that it needs to be done. And there are so many of them who are activists. But also it's the fact that the difference between 20 years ago and now is we can be part of global communities who also care. Mm. So that... Yes. You know, on, so so you know, online and in the communities I'm involved in on Facebook or on um, on what used to be Twitter. So I'm I'm debating whether I'm going to stay with that one because I don't really like being part of something that's a big horrible black and white X. And that turned up for the first time on my account this morning. Um, but on LinkedIn, you know, I'm I'm in getting this sort of immense support all the time both for the work that we're doing here to try and show pathways to a better future, because we all need those and we need that hope, but also in the context of, of identifying all the other people who are doing that. And I think if we go back to the sort of polling stuff, you know, actually the majority of people are in favour of schemes that tackle air pollution. The majority of people are in favour of action on climate change because of the appalling consequences. And all those countries which are having both the wildfires or the, the awful floods are going to have billions in the costs to repair infrastructure. Um, we don't want that. And we're actually, you know, very well placed in one sense in the in the context of where we are in the northern hemisphere well makes us a peculiarly safe and attractive place to be in the context of damage to the rest of the world but that that does not make it an easy place for us to be we should be showing the climate leadership because it's easier for us to show that climate leadership and that's before we even start on the fact that if we try and extract every single um, a cubic meter of gas or every single drop of oil, the damage we're doing is to all those parts of the world that are becoming more arid because of the effect of the climate. We hold the responsibility for it. So I think there's some there's something about individual agency. There's something about collective agency. 
And there's something about, and it's going to sound really pompous, but there's something about being on the right side of the argument. You know, how can we, how can we live in a world where you and I, we, we are, we, we've had the benefit of public education, in my case, free public mm-hmm. education, to get a degree when only 8% of people got degrees in order that I could discern the difference between facts and disinformation. And so my whole life is predicated on looking for evidence that stacks up. And when the evidence that stacks up tells you you need to take action, you need to take action (laughs) at whatever level you need to take action. I agree. And I also think is how on earth can you, you know, as we get older, explain to our kids why we didn't care, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And actually that point about kids, I think, is also important because the trouble is in the work I do on climate and the well-being of future generations and, um, you know, saying eco-anxiety is becoming a big thing. That eco-anxiety is causing kids to think they don't want to have children. Yeah. At the same time, as we're going to see, we see um, in the in the developed world, populations drop because of all sorts of issues to do with infertility, because of the amount of <laughs> drugs we put into our water systems, etc. So you know, all the you know, the whole of our lives in our developed world are causing problems. Whether that's about the amount of slurry or sewage, which you and I really care about as swimmers, the number of times we can't swim after a short, sharp rainfall because of the of the bay turning brown uh, in our little bit of West Wales at Poppet Sands. You know, we, we have not got the systems in place now. What more warnings do governments need when their infrastructure arrangements break down because actually we're still on Victorian architecture? The Victorians envisaged infrastructure probably for 100 years, but not for 200 <laughs> No. So we haven't taken those steps to to improve them. And some of those things make it all seem too big. But actually, what are the things that we can do best first? That's partly what I'm trying to look at through my work at the moment. Get this into manageable bite-sized chunks, because land use is a big one. You know, it's, and it's not about saying that we uh, we want all farmers to change everything they do. It's not about taking animals out of the system, but it is about saying, since government pays farmers for what they do, what should they be paying for? And what we want to do um, in terms of our Wales Net Zero work is actually work with farmers and others, other landholders, to see, well, what could be the best use of a land that we could achieve in 10 years and make the land net zero? And that's the biggest opportunity in terms of becoming nature positive, but it's also a massive opportunity in a just transition because farmers have never made money in Wales. I remember when I first became a politician and I w- and our government was asked, what was, the, what was the net benefit of farming to the economy in Wales? And it was zero, and it still is. So we've got a situation where farming is really important in terms of food. So how does government pay for farming that can also contribute towards being nature positive is the big question of our time. Now, that's a soluble one, because as an organic gardener, as you know, we've been able to change our land, peripheral sheep grazing land, 
very little topsoil. Over a decade, we now have nearly two foot of soil that we have created uh, without any pesticides. Um, so there are ways of doing this. And obviously that is a slow journey, but that would take you to net zero in 10 years. Mm. So it's what can we do in 10 years? And even, even if it's not net zero, since our net zero absolute deadline is 2050, the 10 year plan to 2035 might generate a new 10 year plan in five years time that is even more ambitious in other areas. And it always needs to be doing that until we've achieved net zero. And the quicker we achieve it, the better for Wales. But then we get asked, why should Wales do it? It's the smallest country on mainland UK. Aren't you penalising the people of Wales? And I think then it's the answer is, well, if nobody else is creating a pathway, what we can do at least is show how you would create a pathway. And maybe then other countries will pick that up as 14 other countries are looking at whether or not to have a Wellbeing of Future Generations Act, as 12 other countries are looking at how to achieve net zero within a shorter timescale. So I know which side, I know which, which, which side of the argument I'm on and you're on, and I know what I want to be able to say to my very real grandchildren, which you don't have yet because you're too young. But I've got. Well, I might not because my kids are already saying <laughs> things like you're like you're saying about maybe they won't have children and things like that. Yeah, and I think that I think one of the answers to that is that just imagine if the child you bear is the one that makes the difference. Just you imagine. know, joke, joking aside, that reminds me of Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't remind me of Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> and perhaps it's the next John Connor. <laughs> no, I think it's I think it's more about the fact that one of the things that we do as parents and as grandparents is instill a set of values. Yeah. And certainly I've found that my children are all adult, they're in jobs, they're in, in permanent relationships. I have grandchildren. Those values are there in our children. And I'm absolutely confident they will be there in our grandchildren. And actually, the values, which is about caring for other people, caring for nature, being service led, are actually values I think it's worth signing up to. So I think there's something um, there's something about looking at your life and thinking, has money, other than in the most kind of like ordinary sense, about being able to have enough money to live on, because clearly I want that for everybody. But once you've got beyond the, have I got enough to live on, does money make your life better? Or does actually your friendships, your family, your field, your growing your own, your living a low carbon life, your actively engaging with other people who are on a mission to live low carbon lives? Because what we've found is that our change, which took us from 2007, that last time we flew for a holiday, and now, that change has made our lives better, not worse. That life, that change has, has introduced us to enormous numbers of fantastic people, um, including a range of visionaries, and including you, our very own architect, for our very beautiful plan, for a wonderful <laughs> eco house that's straddled between a south-faced growing area 
and a north-faced view of the estuary. So, oh. Gary, thank you. Just talking to you has mean that my mood at the beginning, feeling really down, and then remembering why I do what I do has really lifted me up. That's great. It's, it's had that effect on me as well, Jane. You can see I'm beaming now, right? And um, <laughs> honestly, because it's so easy to lose faith and hope and all those things. And what we should do one day is do a long one of these, because um, I could talk for hours about this and ask you all sorts of questions. But as ever, we're nearly coming to an end. And I know we didn't touch on um, lots of other things. <laughs> but is there is there anything... You'd, else you'd like to talk about or mention before we say goodbye? No, I think I think I think I now just want to get on again. <laughs> I think that that um, there's a, an American philosopher called John Rawls, and in his theory of justice, um, he wrote this wonderful line that that is just the mantra that I use every day of my life, and it's "Do unto future generations what you would have had." past generations do unto you. Now, I'm a baby boomer, so I am that person who benefited from people post-war when they felt they never wanted to see a loss like that again. And all the major investments they did at the time were into social housing, into education for all, into health for all. Now, my vision for the future is governments remember their duty to the poorest and the most vulnerable. And in doing so, a cooperative, collaborative society is going to be much, much more important in helping um, us navigate the next 30 years than a selfish, individualist society, which will see money move itself out of places which are problematic and put itself behind walls that the rest of us won't be able to access. Nobody wants that kind of world. So we're all far better to take our actions now. So do unto future generations what you would have had past generations do unto you. Oh, well said. And the Just one last part in thing, right back at the beginning when you were talking about, you know, I asked you the question about um, conservative policies and children and grandchildren, and you explained that people will always be able to move if they've got the money. That's very odd, isn't it, in light of what you've just said as well? Because unless everyone is prospering, mm. it, it makes no sense to be a silo where you've got to live isolated from everyone else. And even that is a bizarre outlook, isn't it? That I can buy my way out of this, but how can you live in isolation? It makes no sense whatsoever. No, and I, and I think it's the, um, you know, we humans are responsible for the nature of the world that we live in. Um, and that's true at every level. So we're responsible for the nature of our, our homes. We're responsible for the name, nature of our individual villages or towns or communities within those or within cities, etc. We're responsible for our part of that. And we know that one of the, the greatest killers of spirit is loneliness. Mm, completely. And I think that uh, the vision of a more collaborative, cooperative world is a vision where we do check on our neighbour, where we do 
make sure that those around us are adequately looked after. And so I'm a huge fan of all those <clears throat> sort of schemes that do that. I mean, it's a bit harder nowadays since there, there isn't generally as much milk on the doorstep. Um, and there are fewer letters that go in so people don't necessarily see that there are problems with letters on the doormat or milk bottles on the doorstep. I mean, some of those things um, used to be really, really important ways that people could tell very quickly if mm. there was something wrong. But we have to find those ways. And we found them big time during COVID. Um, and I was astonished at how quickly, I mean, literally within a matter of a couple of days, the community of St. Dogmals sprang into action. And yeah. as somebody who managed to come back from Germany before we even declared COVID in the UK with COVID, <laughs> you know, my shopping was being done for me by people I had never met. And I think that therefore, you know, we are, we need to value communities because it's how we get through whatever it is that's going to face us on a communal level. We can only do it together. And at every scale, isn't it? At every scale. At yeah. every scale. Brilliant, Jane. It's been a real treat. And um, now you're better. I'll see you on the beach. <laughs> Tomorrow morning. I'll be there. No, that's brilliant. Thanks a lot. <laughs> I'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.